How to Obtain Righteousness by Faith. In a book by Margaret Davis, I discovered a very heartrending experience. The author tells of how she and her husband returned home after spending 20 years in the mission field to find that both of her parents were in poor health. Her father had a most serious health condition that could bring death at any time. As he lay on his bed, knowing that he could die at any moment, he was deeply concerned because he had never experienced victory in controlling his temper problem. This dear father knew that he must gain victory over this sin in order to be ready to meet Jesus. Since his daughter Margaret had been a missionary, leading many to Christ and helping them to gain the victory over their sins, he cried, Margaret, Margaret, please help me before I die. I'm 78 years old and I have this fatal heart condition and could die at any moment. Please, please help me to obtain righteousness by faith so I can be ready to meet Jesus. Margaret's father needed to know how to obtain victory, and he had a right to know. During his life, he had accepted the teaching that all he had to do was to believe in Jesus, do his best, and Jesus would make up the difference. He had tried to overcome his evil temper, but was frustrated because he always yielded to his temper rather than yield to Christ for victory. Now that he was about to die, his life of guilt rose up before him in a crushing defeat. He wept upon his bed. Like the Apostle Paul, he too experienced the problem as recorded in Romans 7, 18, and 24. The good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. O oh, wretched man that I am. Dear beloved, is this the story of Margaret's father, the story of your life? Oh, I know it may not be the problem of a temper, but of some other evil. But is there some sin in your life that you have not overcome and gained the victory? Now, before we search for God's solution, let us pray. Loving Father, in thy holy word, we read in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, not willing that any should perish. So, Father, we pray that thou wilt send us thy Holy Spirit to teach us how we may obtain the victory over every sin through the righteousness of Christ. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the book of Luke, we discover a word-by-word -word discourse uttered by two young men. One was a rich young ruler, the other an expert lawyer. 
Both of these men were members of the Jewish religion in the days of Christ. Both were acquainted with the doctrines of their faith. Both considered themselves in full obedience to the Ten Commandments. Therefore, both expected that their salvation was assured. Yet, down deep in their heart, they felt that something was missing. They knew that they were not ready for the coming kingdom. So it is not strange that they both asked precisely the same question in Luke 18.8 and in 10, 25 to 28, the ruler and the lawyer asked, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Apparently, both of these young men were under deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. Outwardly, they were living a godly life, but inwardly, they knew something was wrong. Now for a moment, let's leave these two young men in our thoughts and focus our minds on our Christian experience. We are members of God's church. We know the correct Bible doctrine, and most of us are outwardly living the Christian life. But are we positive that we are ready for Christ's second coming? Let me suggest that both you and I permit the Holy Spirit to freely examine our hearts as we consider the following from inspiration. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 315, we read, Many, now that's a large group, isn't it? Many who call themselves Christians are mere human moralists. The work of the Holy Spirit to them is a strange work, end quote. Could it be that we are unwittingly trusting in our own obedience? Could it be that we are classed as those who are trying to work our own way to heaven? In the Mount of Blessings, page 7, we are told, He who feels whole and who thinks that he is reasonably good and is contented with his own condition does not seek to become a partaker of the grace and the righteousness of Christ." Unquote. Now that's an eye-opener, isn't it? What a statement! So I question, have we gone through the last couple of months feeling we are right with God? Have we said to ourselves, I'm in the right church, I pay my tithe, I give of my offerings, I think that I'm doing pretty good. Have such thoughts been in our mind? Let me put it bluntly. Are we satisfied with our spiritual condition? Could it be that we are not a partaker of Christ's righteousness? Inspiration tells us in Testimony, Volume 4, page 394, the people are more ignorant in regard to the plan of salvation and 
need instruction upon this subject more than any other. But instead of our pastors feeding the flock in such spiritual preparation, they are being forced by the conference to spend precious time in weight control, stress control, marriage seminars, and a lot of other agenda items that have nothing to do with the preparation so necessary to meet Jesus. Both the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy have something to say about this alarming need. In Romans 12, 2 and 3, we read, For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they are being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And then in Ministry of Healing, page 143, we are told, everywhere there are hearts crying out for something that they do not have. They love, they long for a power that will give them victory over sin, a power that will give them mastery over sin, a power that will deliver them from the bondage of evil." Unquote. So this is why I ask the question, could it be that we too have been a product of this new theology that is invading God's church, which teaches that we have been born in sin and that we can never expect to overcome sin until Jesus comes and then makes us so we cannot sin? All that we need is to do our best and believe that God will save us in our sins. But beloved, the Bible has an answer to this false conception. The Word of God positively states in Matthew 1.21, God shall save his people from their sins. This is the life and a death issue facing every individual who expects to see the coming of Christ. And this is not a time to rest on supposed hope. In Testimonies, Volume 1, page 163, I read, A supposed hope, and nothing more, will prove your ruin, since you are to stand or fall in the Word of God. Now this counsel brings us back to the rich young ruler. What did he say? Good master, what good things shall I do that I might have eternal life? And he said unto him, If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, 
if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. Was this young man sincere? Of course he was. But Jesus knew his heart. There was one thing lacking, only one. But this one thing was of major importance. He needed to love God. Sometimes we think that Christ was asking this young ruler to sell everything that he owned, and we have missed the point. For if he had done this, he would have been a beggar. What the master implied was that which he has always required of any individual who desires eternal life. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6.5 The fact remains, this young ruler did not love the Lord with all of his heart. Likewise, this points the same question about ourselves. In the book Sons and Daughters of God, page 49, Ellen White writes, Many are deceiving themselves for the principle of love does not dwell in their heart. Unquote. Now could this involve you and me? Do we attempt to keep the law of God just to prove to ourselves that we are obedient and entitled to heaven? Let me illustrate. When we discipline our children, do we become impatient and irritable and blame them for our lack of love? As husbands and wives, do we resent our spouse and insist that our way is better than their way? Now I think I hear someone say, Brother Nelson, don't you know that we are only human? Are you ready for my answer? How can we have God's love in our heart and still be human? For if we are only human, we are not Christians. A true Christian is more than human, for a Christian has become a partaker of divine nature and is no longer just human. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 158, I read of a Christian, quote, They have Christ in them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit <clears throat> and God's love is controlling them. We may be active, we may do much work, but without love, such love as dwells in the heart of Christ, we can never be numbered with the family of heaven. You see, this was the problem of the rich young ruler, and the same can be said of the lawyer, as we read in Luke 10, 25 to 28. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tempting him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? 
And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. The righteousness of Christ must abide in our hearts, for this is absolutely essential to victorious living. Jesus said in John 3.3, 3, Verily I say unto you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is the problem of many within our church today, for they have never experienced the new birth. They try to live the Christ life in their own natural nature. Now, do I hear someone say, Brother Nelson, you are using some pretty strong language. But, beloved, I am simply stating what God's servant says. Let me read it to you. It is found in Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1075. Quote, The new birth is a rare experience. It is the reason why there are so many perplexities in our church. Many, so many, whom assume the name of Christ are unsanctified and unholy. They have been baptized, but they were baptized and buried alive. Self did not die, and, therefore, they did not rise to the newness of life in Christ. Elder Nelson, are you trying to tell us that if we are not gaining victories over our evil habits through the divine power of God, that we have not partaken of the divine nature? Exactly. Let's read further on page 1101. The old nature, born of the blood and the will of the flesh, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The old ways, the hereditary tendencies, the former habits must be given up, for grace is not inherited. The new birth consists in having new motives, new tastes, new tendencies, and those who are begotten into the new life by the Holy Spirit have become partakers of divine nature. In all their habits and practices, they will give evidence of their relationship with Christ." Unquote. And the Bible agrees, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so you see, this is how God, through Christ, reconciles us to himself. True conversion is a radical change. You and I may be living outwardly a godly life, but as with the ruler and the lawyer, this will not count. Listen, in Matthew 5.20, Jesus said, 
I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God has not left us in doubt as to how his righteousness by faith can be obtained. In Mount of Blessings, page 54, while the law is holy, the Jews could not obtain righteousness by their own efforts to keep the law. The disciples of Christ must obtain righteousness in a different character from that of the Pharisees if they would enter the kingdom of heaven. God offered to them in his Son the perfect righteousness of the law. If they would open their hearts fully to receive Christ, then the very life of God in his love would dwell in them, transforming them into his own likeness. And thus, through God's free grace, they would possess the righteousness which the law requires. A reproduction in themselves of the character of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Nothing could be more plainly stated and simple to understand. As we read in Philippians 3, verse 9, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now you ask, how is this righteousness of faith obtained? In the book, Messages to the Young People, page 55, the Lord Jesus acts through the Holy Spirit, for it is his representative. Through it, he infuses spiritual life into the soul, quickening its energies for good, cleansing it from all moral defilement, and giving it a fitness for heaven. You know, I just feel like saying, praise the Lord. What more could we ask? The most earnest prayer that Seventh-day Adventists should be praying these days is, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Such an experience comes to us only through the Holy Spirit. It is likened to the oil in our vessels. Remember those ten maidens who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom? God says, Five were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish took no oil in their lamps. In Christ Object Lessons, page 406, we read, These two classes of watchers represent the two classes who profess to be waiting for the Lord. They are called virgins because they profess a pure faith. The lamp represents the word of God, and the oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. So, for a time, there was no apparent difference with the members within the church. All have a knowledge of the scriptures. All have heard the message of Christ's approach 
and confidently wait for his appearing. But many are unready since they have no oil in their vessels. They are destitute of the Holy Spirit. Now these virgins, without their oil, were not hypocrites. They advocated the truth. They supported the truth. But they had not yielded to the Holy Spirit. They had not fallen upon the rock Christ Jesus. And they had never permitted their old nature to be broken up. These five foolish virgins did not have on the wedding garment. They were content with a superficial work. And of them it can be honestly said, they do not know God. These foolish virgins were content with only forgiveness. Are you listening? They were not reaching out for victory. We are plainly told in Christ Object Lessons, page 419 and 20, the religion of Christ means more than forgiveness of sins. It means taking away our sins, filling the vacuum with the grace of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness by faith is not a religion of just trying to do our best. It is more than having a relationship with Jesus. It is an overcoming experience. It is victory over sin. Believe me, the Lord is just waiting to give victory to his people today. In Christ Object Lessons, page 419, it says, All heaven is waiting for channels through which can be poured out the holy oil to be joy and blessings to the human heart, unquote. If we are willing, all would be filled with the Holy Spirit. The marriage of the Lamb is going to take place. I read in Revelation 19.7, it says, Rejoice, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride hath made herself ready. For it was granted that she be arraigned in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Let me tell you, a perfect character can be ours. In Christ Object Lessons 3.10, it reads, It is the righteousness of Christ, his unblemished character, that through faith is imparted to all who receive him as their personal Savior. Amen? But, Pastor, please explain how this robe is, usually, is actually put on. Again, I read in Christ Optic Lessons, page 311, this robe, woven in the loom of heaven, has in it not one thread of human device. Christ, in his human humanity, wrought out a perfect character, and this character he offers to impart to us. Now notice, how it becomes a part of us. I continue. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. 
Everything that we of ourselves can do is defiled by sin. But the Son of God was manifested to take away our sins. By his perfect obedience, he has made it possible for every human being to obey God's commandments. Please turn the tape over. Now the question, how is this righteousness obtained? I continue to read. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. The will is merged in his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garments of his righteousness, unquote. Oh, beloved, I'm talking victory. I read in Desire of Ages, page 555, the righteousness of Christ is not a cloak for unforsaken sin. It is a principle of life that transforms the character and controls the conduct. It is the entire surrender of the heart and life to the indwelling of the principles of heaven." Unquote. And so, friend, I believe in moral perfection, and it is obtainable before Jesus comes. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 330, are these words, Moral perfection is required of all. Never should we lower the standard of righteousness in order to accommodate inherited or cultivated tendencies of wrongdoing. We need to understand that imperfection of character is a sin. All righteous attributes of character dwell in God as a perfect harmonious hold, and everyone who receives Christ as a personal Savior is privileged to possess these attributes." Unquote. And so, friend, this is the time when we should do the washing and the ironing. In the book, Heavenly Places, page five, at uh, page three, five, six, are these beautiful words: "If it were possible for us to be admitted into heaven as we are, how many of us would be able to look into the face of God? How many of us?" have on the wedding garment. How many of us are without spot or wrinkle or any such thing? This is the washing and the ironing time, the time when we are to cleanse our robes of character in the blood of the Lamb." Unquote. Like the rich young ruler and the lawyer, we need a Savior, believe me, I am not trying to discourage anyone. I'm trying to awaken all of God's dear people out of their satanic deep sleep. We are facing a life and a death issue, and there is no question about it. I read in volume 2, page 453, God will accept nothing but purity 
and holiness. What we need is this robe of Christ's righteousness that gives the sinner admittance to heaven. So, if we would gain the victory, we must cooperate with Christ. We must respond. In Messages to Young People, page 147, to make God's grace our own, we must act our part. The Lord does not propose to perform for us the willing or the doing. His grace is given to work in us, to will and to do, but never a substitute for our own efforts." Unquote. Our souls are to be aroused to cooperate. The Holy Spirit works in us that we may work out our own salvation. The secret of righteousness by faith, which Margaret, Margaret's father obtained a year before he died, can work for you. How did he do it? It is as simple as it can be. I've tried it myself and discovered it is a divine plan that will give victory over any sin. Here is how it works. When you awaken in the morning, before you roll out of bed, pause to have a little talk with Jesus. Ask him, Lord, please fill my heart so full of thy Holy Spirit today that when the devil comes to tempt me, the Holy Spirit will at once alert me that I am being tempted so that I can immediately cry, God, help me. Suddenly, you will feel divine power flooding your soul and the devil will flee from you. You know, friend, this is so important. Will you let me give that once more? When you awaken in the morning, before you roll out of bed, pause to have a little talk with Jesus. Ask him, Lord, please fill my heart so full of thy Holy Spirit today that when the devil comes to tempt me, the Holy Spirit will at once alert me that I am being tempted so that I can immediately cry, God, help me. Suddenly, you will feel divine power flooding your soul, and the devil will flee from you. And so, beloved, it is actually this simple. This is what righteousness by faith is all about. This is how Margaret Davis' father gained the victory over his temper. He found God's power was sufficient. And beloved, you too can have such victory in your life. Let me close with Inspiration's Promise, found in Review and Herald of September 27, 1906. I quote, To everyone who surrenders fully is given the privilege of living without sin in obedience to the law of heaven. 
Praise God. All it takes is to permit this godly plan of righteousness by faith to be experienced in our daily life. Let us pray. Loving Father, how we praise thy name for giving us this simple divine plan of righteousness by faith so we may gain the victory over every sin and live without sinning. For we ask this in the name of thy dear Son, Jesus. Amen.